It's fair to say, as a society, that we can be very divided at times. It seems that people's opinions are stronger today and people are more passionate about things than they might have been in years past. It's hard to get things done nowadays. And we hear Christ in our gospel talking about brother fighting brother and parents against their children. He's basically describing a Thanksgiving dinner gone bad, uh, or maybe the comments section to an article from the Post-Dispatch. We see division everywhere nowadays, in our families, in places of work, in towns and communities, and even society at large. But what do we do when we see division in the church? Something to think about, sure. Jeremiah, in our first reading, was persecuted by his own people, by the people of God. So there was definitely division there. That man was thrown into a cistern to die. This isn't necessarily new. It's been there for a while. Christ seems to operate on the fact that you know, the division is a fact of life. He's operating on this assumption, almost. So is this division willed by Christ? Because it seems to be what he's alluding to in the gospel. Well, the answer to that is no. Any division within the church, within the body of Christ, is tragic. Because that is the last place where there should be division. The last place where there should be fracturing and splintering into groups. Christ it was, remember, who prayed that all may be one, just as you, Father, are one with me and I with you. He prayed those words the night before he died. Christ would have never wanted division within his body, the church. And yet we see these divisions all too often. They can maybe be on a, on a large scale with large-scale fractures in the times where various people have broken off from the church over the centuries and formed uh, their own churches. Or they can even come on kind of micro levels. Divisions about various issues, points of theology, or church teachings. Now, so what is Christ getting at with this division? Well, the divisions you could say that Christ is speaking of today are the inevitable divisions that arise when speaking the truth. They're the inevitable divisions that arise when speaking the truth between those who believe and those who don't. Those who live by the gospel and those who don't. Christ knew that there would be people who would not accept his message. He saw that very clearly on earth. They were the individual people who were yelling crucify him at his passion and at his trial. He knew how his words would be ridiculed, and he knew how his words would be dismissed by many people. It's why at the consecration of the chalice, we say for many instead of for all. We know Christ died for all, and we know that there are those who reject his words. So it's not all, if you will, who take advantage of Christ's death. There would be those who would not accept his message. The truth of Christ inherently, you could say, sifts. It sifts out those who try to distort it, to twist that truth to meet their own selfish ends and their own selfish motives. 
And that's what Christ is getting at with this gospel, this natural sifting between truth and error. And the truth has a way of doing this, especially in the face of error. It's happened again many times over the centuries, that for all the times where there has been division, the truth has, if anything, made the church more united. And we have those who leave, but the truth makes the church even more united. So even in our own day and age, whether it's assorted bishops from Germany or wannabe theologians on the internet, there are many who try to sow the seeds of disunity, of division, to try to drive wedges among people and members of the body of Christ, to try to drive a wedge between us and the truth. But we must also remember, the truth is a person Brothers and sisters, it is Jesus Christ himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And to deny the truths of our faith is to deny Christ. It is disunity against Christ himself. With Christ, there is a perfect integration of living out every truth of the gospel, every teaching, every virtue in its fullness. And that makes the church strong. We are integrated in Christ. He is an integral force. Because every time that you have people breaking off from the church, if anything, it only makes the people who remain stronger and even more united. So how do we respond to division? You know, again, this affects us sometimes. Even in our families, it can divide families. It can even divide friendships. Well, our response must be to remain united in tradition, truth, and love. With tradition, we know that we have the church's unbroken line of succession going back to the apostles through the laying on of hands. We're called to be united in the truth, the great unifying force, and never wavering from it. The truth of Christ helps keep the church together with teachings maintained for 2,000 years, regardless of what society might have been pushing at the time. As we heard in our first reading, Jeremiah had confidence in the truth that he was professing, even as he was being persecuted by the leaders of his day. But we also have to be united in love as well, because we can have all of the tradition and all of the truth on our side, but if we do not have love, it's all an empty show. We must be united in love as well. So brothers and sisters, we must be instruments of unity in the church to seek, to, to preach the truth in love, to draw all toward Christ, the source of all truth, rather than other things. And if there's any part of us that isn't fully united with Christ, if our hearts are divided, we must pray to the Holy Spirit that great unifier to heal that which is divided and make it whole. So Christ desires unity in the world, and most importantly, he desires unity in his body, the, his most holy church. So may we be united in the truths of our faith, in the Holy Spirit, and the person of Jesus Christ.